Hey friends, and welcome back to the Eagle Community Church Podcast. My name is John Gunter. This week, we're getting back into the story. This is our second week back after the summer break. We're in chapter 21, if you want to follow along. Uh, what I have our church doing is reading the chapter before we go into the sermon, so we get a lot more out of the time. So, uh, Chapter 21 is called Rebuilding the Walls. It's talking about Ezra and Nehemiah and really the, the battle they face to kind of restore Jerusalem. They're able to go home, but home is not what it used to be. It's been over 50 years, 50 to 70 years, and so now they've got to make some changes. So interesting story. I hope it helps you, and come see us sometime. Sing that sitting down, <laughs> or with a downcast disposition. Uh, the song encourage you, encourages you to think about the joy that we find in God. How many of you need that joy today? I do. Absolutely. To get through every day, through, to get through what all I have planned, a lot of times I blame myself. I need to reflect on the joy of the Lord. Uh, the point in Scripture we're at is a point in time where the Israelites should be reflecting on that same joy. Remember, they have been carried off into Babylon. They've been taken away from their homeland. And uh, they are just now, in the last few years, been able to start returning. And that, as we have studied uh, prior, is because the uh, decree of Cyrus. Remember, God said he used King Cyrus, his anointed one, a non-Israelite, to do his will. And part of that will was to allow the Israelites to return home. Now, how excited would you be to return home after 50 years? Brooke and Francisco have been gone uh, for a few days. I know it felt like a month, but it's just a few days, Scott, Sheila. Uh, but Francisco said, I, I'm just ready to be home. I think we all know that feeling, don't we? Ready to be in my house, in my bed, where I know where all the stuff is. I'm ready to be back. And so how do you feel when you're able to return? What, what, what is your experience? Very thankful, right? Other than when you walk in and you think, does my house always smell like this? <laughs> You're very thankful. You have been able to return home, and God, as we know it, has been behind that, right? Allowing them to come back. And as we read the accounts of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, this is what we get, this uh, understanding of how this came about for even them. Our reading uh, right now is from Ezra 7. Verses 6 through 28. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. That's a long trip, y'all. It's a long bus ride. He said, uh, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. This is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes had given Ezra the priest a teacher of the law, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees 
of the Lord for Israel. So this is a, an account of the letter that King Artaxerxes had given Ezra to allow him to return home. I think this is fascinating. Artaxerxes, king of kings, you got to put that in there, right? You're the king. King of kings. To Ezra the priest, teacher of the law, the God of heaven, greetings. Now I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites, who volunteer to go to Jerusalem with you, may go. Praise God, right? This is not some little flippant thing. If we, right now, were in some other land taken against our will, and all of a sudden the ruler of said land said this, what's your response? Is it the Church of Christ? We just be quiet and nod? <laughs> Do we at least get an amen? Yeah, right? We're, we're jumping in our chairs, right? Somebody walks in and thinks, well, it's a Pentecostal place. Here, we're charismatic. Uh, no, we would be thrilled. And so you see the work of God through this king allowing this to happen for God's people. So whoever wants to return can go. <laughs> you are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwellings, uh, dwelling is in Jerusalem. What? Not only can you go, you can take stuff. I'm going to send stuff with you. It says, together with all the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the freewill offerings of the people and priests for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. With this money, be sure to buy bulls, rams, and male lambs together with their grain offerings and drink offerings and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. Do you think Ezra has been talking to the king? You think Ezra said a few things about what his people believe and what they do and how they worship their God? Yeah. That's what you see. Everything is in line with, I want you to do exactly what you've been telling me. And here's the money, here, here, here's the things to, to be able to, to accomplish that. It says, you and your fellow Israelites may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the silver and gold. I like this guy. How about you? Have you ever been told that? No. Uh, even, even with my kids, right? I hand them money and I'm looking for the change when they come back from the concession stand. Not, hey, I was able to spend exactly the right amount where I don't have to give you anything, Right? But yeah, the, the, this is a king who's saying, okay, whatever you have left, you spend it as you want. He says, in accordance with the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your God. And anything else needed for the temple of your God that you are responsible to supply, you may provide from the royal treasury. Amazing. Now I, King Artaxerxes, decree that all the treasures of trans-Euphrates are to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of God of heaven, may ask of you. Up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of olive oil, and salt without limit. We didn't need that, though, did we? We cut back. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should his wrath fall on the realm of the king and of his sons? You see a little bit of the wine here. I want to be good with this guy. This, obviously, he respects Ezra and, and what he believes and what he's teaching, and he wants to be good with God as well. If God has this kind of power, I'd like to be good with him, right? You are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, 
No amen at all. <laughs> really. He, we're just too used to it, right? It's just, just a part of life. You have no authority to impose taxes, tribute, or duty on any of the priests. There you go. Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, temple servants, or other workers at this house of God. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of Trans-Euphrates, all who know the laws of your God, and you are to teach any of them or any who do not know them. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it in the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord, you hear this? Because the hand of the Lord, my God, was on me. I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. Nehemiah's story is, is very similar. We don't get Ezra's question how to... Uh, that he went to the king and how that came about. But we do get Nehemiah. Nehemiah says this, In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked, asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you be back or when get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Here we have two men who obviously, in the way that they lived, even in exile, had curried favor with the king. That they even asked, when will you get back? How many of you would have been so grouchy they wouldn't have wanted you back? Yeah? Yeah, some people exit your life and you think, my goodness, praise the Lord. But Ezra and Nehemiah lived in a way that they, again, had this respect about them. Now, again, we understand, because we understand the whole of Scripture, that not everything went as planned, did it? So we read this in Ezra 9, just these first five verses. It says, After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring people. Remember, the, the word there, keeping yourself separate, is what word? Set apart. Holy. Yeah. Have not been holy. Kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. I love that every time something like that comes up, they name everybody. Not just like the Canaanites. We're calling names. So we got... Uh, Coach Prime says, we've got receipts. All of them. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. 
Then everyone who trembled at the words of, of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God. What I want to point out here is that when you, when you read about and when you see a holy race that is not set apart, this is not some kind of racism where we're better than you or we like our color of skin better than yours. But what this is is a, a very real thing where the people have intermarried, and that's, that's not a necessarily an uncommon thing. We read last week how people started becoming Jews. That's not a new thing, but what, what they're doing here is they are intermarrying people with faiths in other gods. And so what does that do almost every single time? It gets in the way, doesn't it? It starts drawing people, even the wisest of the wise, King Solomon, who asked for wisdom and God gave him everything, money, everything, wisdom. People come from miles around to hear what he has to say. And he decided, I'm going to marry a bunch of ladies from all over the country to help keep the peace. And what does he do? He starts straying from God. And so that's what he's experiencing right here, is the people have introduced this, and they are being pulled away from God. And so one of the main things in Ezra and Nehemiah is, is kind of the question, what is distracting you from doing the work or the will of God? Maybe we need to just sit with that just a moment. What is distracting you from doing the work or the will of God? We asked a question in class this morning. Why is it or, or what's getting in the way of us giving in the way we want to give? Well, it's I have allotted everything else all the time in my life. I have allotted all my money. My schedule is full and God gets the leftover, doesn't he? How often is that true? That I will set this up, I will have all the things filled out, and then maybe if everything works out, if I feel good, if I don't have something else come up, I will do what I believe I should for God. I told you before in my last church when I worked with teens, one of the things I started to learn and understand was that when kids told you yes, I will come to this function, you started interpreting that as right now I'm saying yes, but if something else comes up, absolutely not. And so the yes at that point is meaningless, right? It does me no good to take that up and say, you know, how many of you are going to be here? And you all raise your hands. Like, okay, 100 people. Because I know when it comes down to it that a lot of people are going to do their own thing. And so that's what we see in the story is they have come back. God has blessed them to come out of exile, go home, and we should be marching and praising God and thanking him for the way he's blessed us. And what we see is kind of coming back with, ah, I'm not really going to follow what God has said. Remember in the story, it actually says that it's been about 140 years. It's been a long time since they've read even the law. And so they don't even understand what it is to follow God's law. The good thing in this story is when confronted, what you see is a lot of the people say, you're right. And as a minister, 
That's, that's the best I can hope for. But as we preach, as we bring the Word of God on Sundays, that as, as you hear, as you sit here and hear the Word of God, and if that doesn't jive with the way you're living your life, the best thing that can happen for you, for you, is to say, you know, you're right. I, I need to conform my life to God. Because often what we do is we, we hear something, we think, well, how can God conform, or how can I make that work with what I'm already doing? Instead of realigning, readjusting, rescheduling, rebudgeting. And so, you see the difference there? It says, uh, in part of our, our reading today, it says that the people are even giving. You remember what they were supposed to give as a sacrifice? The very first, the very best. And these people had decided, we're even going to give the blind animals. God doesn't know better, right? He's not here. Well, what's God going to do about it? We'll start it with kind of, you know, half in, toe in the water type of thing. Well, we'll start giving, but not much. That's kind of how we see that, right? I don't want to give all of my time and effort. I've got to work on Logan. I hope Logan's watching around. Right Logan, I love you, buddy. <laughs> They're at home. But Logan, Logan cracked me up last week. He's a, when I met my biological family, one of the things I found out is a lot of men are, are artists. And I've always seen myself as not having any ability whatsoever. Uh, but Logan's got some of that. Even at six, he can, he can draw. And so he came, came back last week after, after church, and he showed me his paper. And he said, draw a hero. And he drew a military man. And it said military man on there. And as he's telling me what he did, he goes, I'm so dumb. I should have written God, because who knows what God looks like, and then I would have been done. <laughs> so he's thinking, I could have got out of some of this work. <laughs> I didn't have to draw, and it was really good for, for a six-year-old. I'm like, man, that's really good, but the thought process, I mean, that's, that's kind of scaring me. But often, that's kind of our process. Like, how can I get out of, how can I lessen, how can I give less, how can I make it make sense in my mind that I don't really have to dive into all this faith stuff? How, how can I do the minimum and walk away feeling still good about myself? And I'm just going to challenge you this morning that if your minimum, if, if what's making you feel good is showing up on Sundays, you need to be here, first of all. We all do. Scripture talks about being part of the body. You can't be a part of the body if you're not a part of the body. Some way or another. But if you come and, and you think, well, as long as I have Sunday morning attendance, I'll feel good about myself. That's not what God, God has called you to do. As we've gone through the study of the Holy Spirit, we've talked about the way God has anointed all of us with different gifts and different abilities and ways to serve, not for ourselves, but for the common good of all the people. And here we are most of the time thinking, he'll do it better, she'll do it better. I hope I don't have to volunteer. And so nothing gets done. And so that's the same way 
when Ezra and Nehemiah show up and they're glad to be home, but home doesn't look the way it used to look, does it? The walls are torn down. The, uh, the gates are on the ground, burned up. There's work to be done, and why hasn't anybody been doing it? So the question is, what's getting in your way of working for God? Scripture tells us we, we often have the battle. Well, I, you don't have to work. Well, it's, but you do have to participate. Faith without works is what? Is dead. Faith without works, talk is cheap. Don't tell me you're a Christian. Live like one. Don't tell me you follow God. Live like you follow God. I don't need to hear it. I need to see it. How are we going to impact our kids? How are we going to grow the church? Living like God wants us to live. Showing people that there is a way that we can live that is so attractive that everybody should want to do it. But if you're living like Christianity is a burden or how can I get out of this or how can I give less or not spend so much time up there, John's going a little long, what are we doing? What is it that's getting in our way? What is it that's drawing our attention away from God, away from loving each other? And so that's what we see. The end of the story this week starts with there's a Messiah coming. And what we see with that is someone is going to set all things right. That even though restoration is happening here, there, even in Jerusalem, it's not going to be perfect until God's Messiah shows up. And so I am looking forward to talking to you about the life of Jesus. But I want to encourage you this morning. And again, if your heart is not in it, and you know, I don't have to explain that to you. You know whether your heart is in it. What do you feel? How does it make you feel when we come and worship? Are you in it for, man, I am just looking forward to being there with my people. Maybe I need to be there because they need to encourage me today because I've had a rough week. Maybe it is that I'm just overflowing with the joy of the Lord that I want to share it, that I want to give it. But I'm not here just to, to see what they have for me today, but I'm here to give. So you know if your heart's not in those places. And if not, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. I know sometimes it feels like I don't know how to get out of it. I believe it starts with a prayer and asking God our Father to work in ways that we're not able to. So we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to see you baptized just like the Vasquez's were last week. You saw it. He was actually sound asleep. I looked over and I pointed at Blake. Both of them were just out as much as they could be. We'd love to see you begin that walk with Jesus. That is not something we take lightly here. That is not something where we're just going to hug Blake and Kayla and say, great job, and just leave them alone. No, we're going to walk beside you. That is our, uh, our mission as a church. You know that. We don't baptize people and leave them alone and say, mission accomplished. Right? Fly the bear. That's the beginning. And you know, because you've been there, is once you decide that my life is going to be lived for him, something else is going to show up and try to take that away from you. We walk together as a church, as a body of Christ. So if we can help you in any way this morning, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, would you come as we stand and sing?